Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. Came across a new word today, very unusual word and one that pertains to the experiences of the Lord Jesus as a human being, not as God, but as man. I was reading the book, The Killing of Jesus by Bill O'Reilly. I had found his earlier books, The Killing of Lincoln and The Killing of Kennedy, to be very interesting, well-researched and written in an engaging manner. So I was attracted to this book in his series of The Killing of Famous People. I watch Mr. O'Reilly sometimes on Fox News, so I am aware of many of his standards and his worldviews on a number of matters. I am also aware that he is a practicing Catholic. I anticipated that his coverage of the death of Jesus would be fascinating, especially because he does such extensive research into the subject matter before he publishes any of his material. I was not disappointed. Perhaps he gave too much background leading up to the actual crucifixion event, but perhaps not. His background certainly provided the reader with a thorough picture of the environment in which this event took place, the detail on the Roman occupation of Jerusalem, the circumstances surrounding the appointment and administration of King Herod and other figures familiar to the story of the birth, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, especially Pilate and his involvement in the death of Jesus, along with Caiaphas, the high priest, and the regulations in vogue at the time in the temple. All of these contributed magnificently to an appreciation of why and how events transpired as they did during those fateful days leading up to and including the crucifixion. As I say, Mr. O'Reilly did well. I learned some facts that I did not know before, including this new word, which I'll share with you after our first song call. Amen. Mm-hmm. 
I've heard skeptics wrestle with the episode described in the scripture when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and anticipating his imminent arrest and eventual death for all of mankind. We've always heard that Jesus was completely God, but also completely man, fully divine, yet fully human, an anomaly to be sure, yet we believe it. I certainly do. The hardest parts to assimilate, perhaps, are the two descriptions that reveal his humanity. One being when he asks if it was possible to let the cup pass from him. So intense and so frightening was the coming execution that Jesus asked if it could be avoided. Later, of course, he succumbed to the Father's will and accepted that this was the way it had to go and he was willing to do it and had come into the world for this purpose. The other time was when he anticipated the suffering that he would have to endure. His humanity came front and center. As the Bible describes it, he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. Over the years, I've heard the incredulous comments and reluctant believers who struggle with this as not really a possible thing to experience. But Mr. O'Reilly proffered a medical term to describe the condition. He called it hemiditrosis. I looked it up. It is, to be sure, a rare condition, but it is known to science. It happened during the Blitz in Britain, during the last war, when people were so afraid and facing imminent death, they experienced this condition of sweating blood. That was a new word for me. It was well worth the read. Since the day I 
with his message for today, here is Senior Pastor Emeritus, Alan Lee. Greetings once again in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I truly thank God for the privilege of being able to share the Word of God with you. Today, as we look at the overall theme of the signs of the times and our objective to demonstrate from both Scripture and current events that we are actually living in the times of the signs, we want to continue with our exposition of Paul's epistle to the Colossians specifically chapter 2, verses 8 through 15, where he focuses on the nature of false teachings and their teachers. Please listen carefully then to the Lord as he speaks to us in these inspired words, reading from the New Living Testament. Quote, Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world, rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life, because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins, and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. 
He cancelled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. End of quote. Or as we would say in the Bahamas, he made a poppy show of them. Now as we noted last time, Paul gave five characteristics of false teachings and also reveals the nature of the men and women who promote and proclaim them. That's in the first seven verses. Now from verse 8 through 15, Paul's response is given. But it is not along the lines we would ordinarily think. You see, when confronted with false teachings, most of us attack it and try to point out what is wrong with it. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, mind you, as we will show in future messages, and in fact, which we have shown already in previous messages. However, the apostle point here is not taken from this perspective. He's saying here that although there's nothing wrong with this approach, that is not the best way to answer erroneous doctrine. Instead, Paul reviews for the Colossian Christians and for us what they and us already have in Jesus Christ. In effect, he's saying, before you deal with the counterfeit, be sure you know the genuine. I repeat this principle. Before you deal with the counterfeit, be sure you know the genuine. And so he calls the Colossians and us back to the truth and sets it vividly before us in four tremendous statements. The first is found in verses 9 and 10. Quote, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have this fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. End of quote. Paul is saying that to combat false teaching, we must focus upon who Christ is. Then the mind and heart are both protected against the assault of evil teaching, and evil teachers. So here, the Apostle reminds us that we already have everything we need if we have Jesus Christ. We have God. Why? Because in Christ dwells all the fullness of deity in bodily form. All of God, my friends, is present with us when Jesus is in us and we are in Him. We fall into error only because we do not dwell upon or reflect upon and realize continually what we have when we have Jesus Christ. So having made this overall statement that we as believers have in Christ and that we have already received all that God is and nothing can be added, Paul then describes how this happened to them and to us. In the next four statements, he tells how believers share in their fullness of God in Christ. First, he says, they were circumcised with him. Verse 11, quote, In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of your sinful nature, not with the circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ. My friends, this is an astonishing, awesome statement. Many scholars equate circumcision with baptism today, holding that Christian baptism has taken the place of the Old Testament rite of circumcision for entrance into the family of God. 
But if you look carefully at this passage, it is clear that this cannot be so. If we are Christians, says Paul, we have been both circumcised and baptized. Thus, they are not one and the same. When Jesus was crucified, the sin that he assumed on our behalf, symbolized by the foreskin of the flesh, that was removed. That is Paul's point. It is what Scripture calls the circumcision of the heart. Notice how Paul explains it. He says, In him you were circumcised in the putting off of your sinful nature. End of quote. In other words, the foreskin of the flesh in circumcision is a symbol of the fallen nature within us. When we become a Christian by faith in Christ, it is revealed for what it truly is. It is worthless in the sight of God and must be cut off, cast away. This is why Scripture says very plainly, They that are in the flesh cannot please God. Jesus himself said, Without me you can do nothing. The natural life, that is, the old Adamic nature, is of no value anymore. It is only Christ in us by his Holy Spirit that makes it possible for us to please God. We are susceptible to false philosophies and false teachings and erroneous worldviews only when we refuse to walk by the Spirit. Second, in baptism, Paul says in verses 12 and 13 that we were buried with him and raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. And when we were dead in our sins and in the uncircumcision of our sinful nature, God made us alive in Christ. End of quote. That is what baptism by the Spirit means and what water baptism represents. Circumcision symbolizes the death of Jesus and our death with him, our dying to sin and the fleshly old man. Paul explains this in detail in Romans 5 and 6, and I encourage you to read it at your leisure. Baptism, however, stands for our new life with Christ. When someone is immersed in the waters of a baptism, he or she is not left there. They are brought out again to a new life. That is what baptism reflects, the work of the Spirit in imparting new life from Christ. A new humanity, the human spirit made alive by the regenerating power of the Spirit of God. My friends, it is the difference between a true Christian and a merely professing one. The true Christian has been made alive in Christ. He or she has a whole new basis for living. When we are living our new life in Christ, we will not be susceptible to false teachings or false teachers or erroneous worldviews and the philosophies of man. That's third step in the process of sharing in Christ is given in verse 14 where Paul says, and I quote, He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us, that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. End of quote. Paul says that we were forgiven of sins for which the law, the written code with its regulations, condemned us. In other words, that condemnation is now removed by the death of Jesus Christ on our behalf. We not need ever again be bothered by a guilty conscience or concerned that we have to do anything to please or appease God. 
Jesus Christ has taken care of all of that for us by his death on the cross and his glorious resurrection on our behalf. And so Paul is saying, don't allow false teachers to deceive you otherwise. The fourth and final step is stated in verse 15, which I believe is one of the most glorious verses in the whole word of God. Christ has freed us from the power of these evil demonic beings that seek to seduce the unspecting today. Listen to what he says. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. What a glorious truth this is. These are the world rulers of darkness to whom Paul is referring. They are the principalities and powers, the clever, evil, and malicious spiritual beings whose business it now is to keep inserting into human thinking wrong ideas, dangerous thoughts, attitudes and teachings that set us against one another and make us go for one another's throat, keeping enmity and strife stirring in the human family, even in the church of God. Notice what the apostle says has happened to them. He declares that when Jesus died, he seized these powers by the throat, as it were. He went right to their jugular. He chained them and dragged them in triumph behind him, like a Roman general marching through the streets of Rome, his chained captives walking behind him in total subjugation. That is what Jesus Christ did to the demonic forces on the cross. This is why John the Apostle can say, Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. There is no need, therefore, to give way to evil teachings or evil temptations, for we have a power and a person within us who is superior to anything Satan can throw against us, including the world, the flesh, and the devil. This, then, is the teaching of this glorious passage. Paul is encouraging the Colossians on us, to see that there is absolutely no need to believe the doctrines and teachings or the rituals that have their origin in demonic beings and channeled through the hollow, deceptive traditions of men, and neither do we need to believe them. If we understand who we are in Christ and who Christ is, what we have in him, we will not be taken captive by such childish, immature, demonic-motivated doctrine. Listen carefully now to this principle as we close. If we really know the genuine, we will not be deceived by the counterfeit. Do you know the Word of God? Do you truly know Jesus Christ as your Savior? This is key to being able to overcome the evil, the counterfeit that is all around us today. As always, this is Senior Pastor Emeritus Alan Lee saying, Selah, think and act on these things. It can happen in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. It could happen in a moment, he could break the eastern sky. Though our hearts will feel unworthy. comes from heaven when his blessed face we see
You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. There forevermore to stay. The great command is promised, he will surely come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the saints and our toiling will be happen in a moment, Jesus Christ could come again, I am listening every moment, for the mighty trumpet sound, what a time we'll have together, when the saints shall leave the ground, and our toiling will be in a moment Jesus Christ could come again